Okay, thank you, Joey. All right. I feel like I've already done a lot of talking. I haven't even started. Okay. Why don't you open your Bibles to the Gospel of John? I got to say, I'm really excited about this. Uh, not only are we in the New Covenant in our trek through the narrative of Scripture, but this is the first time at Church on the Rock that we have uh, gone through in, in sort of uh, chronological sequence the Gospel of John. So we've been through the New Covenant twice. I mean, we talk about it frequently through our other teachings, but we've actually been through the story of the New Testament two times here at Church on the Rock. Uh, our habit here is to go through the whole narrative of Scripture on a four-year cycle, which I've loved. Uh, this is our third trek into the New Covenant, and this is our first time to be going through uh, the Gospel narrative by going through the book of John, uh, which I'm excited about. So. Um, I want to tell you my intention for this series to kind of frame this morning and frame the next several of weeks. Uh, we have uh, a couple of uh, guest speakers uh, coming to speak in this uh, series that I'm very excited about. I've had conversation with them about the intent of this series, and I want to lay it out there for you. Here it is. Our intent. And spending time in the Gospel of John is that you would grow in love for Jesus. Period. You have heard me say from this stage, if the Gospel has not transformed your life and relationships, then you either don't understand it or you don't believe it. The beginning of that transformation is knowing Jesus. It's knowing Jesus Christ. It's understanding who He is. It's understanding what He's like. It's understanding what He values. And then growing in His likeness. So my goal through our time this morning and over the coming weeks is that you would grow in love for Jesus. You ready? Yeah. But I gotta get to something first. Can you throw up the first picture on my slide? Is it legal? How many say yes? Wow, not very many. I was actually sent this picture last night with the question, is it legal? Now, I have, I was sent like six other pictures as well. This one's head on. I'm not sure it's quite 50. You don't think it's 50? You wouldn't shoot it? No. I don't think I would shoot it. And it almost has three brow tines on one side. I need a text or response, so I need some serious input here. <laughs> Let it walk. Well, this was last night, so it walked. I've been hunting here for many years. I have shot a sublegal bull. Yes, it's 47 inches. 
I walked five hours to shoot that sublegal bull because there was no ATVs allowed. It was super exciting and terrible. <sighs> I've looked at moose. In fact, my oldest daughter and I, Sela, have sat and examined moose for a total of many hours of our lives trying to make a decision about that moose, whether it should die or not today. I actually have a friend of mine who did exactly this, took some pictures of a moose, brought the pictures back into town, consulted with three different people. Everyone decided it was legal. He went back and shot it, and it was, in fact, legal by a half an inch. I have, like, I have studied moose so carefully through a spotting scope, trying to make an important decision about the survival of that animal. This is what I want for this series, is that you would look carefully, long and hard, that you would look critically at the person of Jesus Christ. I'm going to read you a passage from 1 John. I'm going to read this, and then we're going to come back through it. You ready? 1 John. I'm reading from the ESV. If you don't have a Bible, we have one there as a gift for you. You can also read along on the Church on the Rock Homer app. John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, to be clear, this is a different John. John the Apostle is talking about John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world, and then he was in the world. And the world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Those who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, 
glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. And for the law was given through Moses, and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. No one has ever seen the Father, but the Son, who is at the side of the Father, the Son has made him known has broadcast his nature and his character to us, the Son, Jesus. What I want to do as we go through this in a little more detail, I'm going to give you, uh, I want to highlight six uh, reasons this morning from this passage to love Jesus. Six reasons why Jesus is worthy of your affection, of your adoration, of your worship. But I want to deal with something really quick here as an introduction. The Word became flesh. This, to me, is one of the the most uh, profound, at times puzzling, and distinctive characteristics of the Christian faith, is that the Christian faith does not just consist of a set of propositions that you either agree with or disagree with. The Christian faith is not just a set of truth claims that you either accept or deny. Within the Christian faith, And within the testimony of those who were in relationship with Jesus, they say this, we saw truth in the flesh, in person, God incarnate. And if your faith this morning, if your faith consists of a set of principles that you walk in agreement towards, and yet does not consist of a vital relationship with the person of truth, then your faith is immature. And if you are a person who loves the person of Jesus, but ignores the truth claims that he makes, the propositional statements of good and evil, then your faith is immature. Truth in the flesh, God incarnate, Jesus Christ. I really do hope that you will take time over the next few weeks outside of Sunday morning to grow in your relationship with Jesus. Do not be content with your current experience and do not settle for discontentment. Take action to grow in relationship with him. Six truths. Ready? 
Here we go. Number one, it is through Jesus that we have our existence. Verse three, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. There you have it already. It's a truth claim, right? It's a proposition. Did Jesus, the man, as God, make everything? And yet there we have a person. We owe our existence to the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who existed from the beginning of the world, through whom everything that was made was made. So everyone take in a big breath and exhale. Jesus has given you your life, your breath, and your very existence. Think of right now the, the best things about your life, the best things. Like number one, skip bower socks. Number two, I mean, just think of like the greatest gifts that God has given you. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe not. Maybe it's your children. Maybe it's your work. You love your work. Maybe, maybe one of the greatest gifts in your experience has been the enjoyment of God's created world, which we have unique uh, access to here in Homer. Think of those greatest gifts and then remove all of the, the effects of sin on those gifts, right? So Skip's really valuable to me. He's been a great gift to me, but he has some problems. <laughs> so imagine like those things that are those things that are valuable gifts to you and then take away all of the bad from your work or from your relationships, even the created world. Remove everything that is, that is the effect of sin. That is the gift of God in its purest form. Because all of the corruptions are our responsibility, are our fault, right? It's the pure gift of life, of love, of relationships, of freedom, of living in God's created world and working in his created world. That is a gift from Jesus Christ. It's through Jesus that we have our existence. Colossians 1.16, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. It's through Jesus that you have your existence. The second reason that we love Jesus he is worthy of our worship, is that in Jesus is life. Verse 4, and in him was life. What does it mean that in Jesus was life, and what does it mean for you to have that life? I think there's a sort of an elementary understanding of eternal life when we say that we have life eternal through Jesus, that that just means living for a very long time. Um, but John, actually, the Gospel of John, or the same writer here, 
answers that question for us in telling the words of Jesus in John 17, verse 3. He says, and this is eternal life, that you would know God. This is what life eternal consists of, relationship with God, knowing him. Well, if Jesus was in the beginning, Jesus was with the Father, Jesus is God, then certainly in him and flowing out of him is life eternal. That is knowledge and experience of God. That was the life in Jesus, knowing God, experiencing God. In Jesus is life. Number three, and the life in Jesus is a light. All things were made through him. This is in verse three. And without him was not anything made that was made. And in him was life. And the life was the light of men. That his his relationship with God, his experiential knowledge of God the Father, that that life that he possessed in him as a person radiated from him as the light does into dark places. A couple of things about that really quickly. Do we have my super cool graphic? Ooh, there it is. That's, I worked long and hard on that one. First, God has always been associated with light. Genesis 1, verse 2. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Light was created before a source of light was designated. The planets, the stars, the sun, and the moon have not been created. God said, as a first order of business, let's see what's going on here. And he created light. Secondly, light illuminates reality. Light shows us what's up. The reason that you in the back corner over here can't see your notes is because there's no lights. I'm sorry, they're not working. Well, they work, but they throw our breaker, so. Light, when light comes into our situation, it reveals, right? Uh, right after I was married, uh, Jenny and I got married um, back in 1998, we went down to visit the island uh, where my wife grew up. Uh, my wife grew up on an island that's in the South China Sea. It's part of the Philippines off the coast of Borneo. Uh, there's a little island there where her parents were church planters. Uh, my wife is actually fluent in a language spoken by only about 10,000 people on the earth. Uh, that's where she grew up. It's part of her history, it's part of her heritage, so we took a trip down there to see the island. We spent about a week down there, it was fantastic. We saw some of her old friends, uh, made some new friends, and then on our way out of the island, um, uh, you, it's a, from Manila, it's about a two-day trip down there, and so as we're leaving the island, we had to leave the village 
uh, in the evening and make our way to the town. There's one town on the island, and there's no electricity in the town. They have a generator, which they only run for a few hours a day. So we slept in the town uh, in a little empty room that I think we had rented or something. And then in the morning, at about 4.30 in the morning, uh, we woke up, and in the darkness, we made our way down to the boat that was going to be taking us off the island. It was one of those big uh, outrigger-style boats, um, and uh, it was still dark. The generator was not on, so we couldn't really see very much as we were making our way. There was a few flashlights. And then we climbed onto the boat, and we still couldn't see, but they're squeezing everyone into their rows. And so we all get into our little spots, and after they get all the boat loaded, they, with, they wrap a rope around the flywheel of the engine, and eight guys give it a yank, and the boat starts up, and the lights come on, and I was sitting next to someone I knew from Homer. <laughs> Ernie and Linda Reb. You guys remember them? Ernie and Linda Reb? Some of you do. What are you doing here? Seems like a strange place to meet. They were down there doing mission stuff and happened to be on Balabak Island. That's what light does. Light illuminates. Light reveals what you didn't know about your surroundings, about your situation. Light tells you things that are true. In Jesus was life relationship, knowledge, experiential knowledge of God. And that relationship was a light revealing to us a lot of things about ourselves, about humanity, about sin, and about righteousness. Just by nature of who he is, he is a light. What is it about your life that you struggle to understand or to see clearly? I would encourage you this morning, let Jesus be the light into those dark places. Ask him to show you. Go to him. Let him speak to you. In truth, it is the same for us. We also become lights through the quality of our experience with God. That's the light. Number four, the light from Jesus is not overcome. Scott, can you kill the stage lights without doing any damage to the building? <laughs> now turn them back on. Light wins every time. Isn't that crazy? The light came into the world, and guess what? The darkness did not overcome it. Because darkness is always, always overcome by light. You want a devotional idea with your kids? When you try to teach them a spiritual truth, send one of them to the light switch. They'll love it. 
this term, the darkness did not overcome it. Uh, there's actually um, a couple of different ways. If you can go to the next little picture there. That term, overcome, uh, some of your Bibles will actually say the, the, dark, uh, the darkness did not comprehend it. That, that term can actually be used both ways. So I would say whichever you like, go with it. The darkness didn't understand it, also didn't overcome it. Doesn't matter, light wins. Now, for those of you who have not read to the end of the story, I should warn you, this is a spoiler alert, so if you don't want to know how the Bible ends, plug your ears. Revelations 21, verse 23, and the city has no need of a sun or a moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The light from Jesus is not overcome. And here's the clincher. Jesus is with God. He is God. He comes to earth full of life. And that light shines on us, on humankind. And we might anticipate a particular response. I have at times walked into a dark room in my house, flipped on the light, and thought to myself, what in the world is going down in here? Because light illuminates the behavior of my children that would otherwise have been a secret. God, in all of his perfection, comes down shines a light by the very nature of who he is. And I would think that maybe some particular responses would be appropriate and deserved. And yet John tells us this, that Jesus came full of grace and truth. Verse 14, verse 17, the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. How does a man who is God, who knows God, who has life in him and light to see reality for what it is, give grace with truth? God never just reveals the problem that's truth. He comes with grace and truth. Grace is the empowering assistance of God in your life to conform to truth for your benefit so that you too can have life and relationship with God. So God shows us our situation because he is light. He reveals to us the reality of our condition and then extends grace to to be moved towards his true design, his true intention, his good plan for our lives. In Jesus, we have truth. Proposition. And we have grace. 
the kindness of his advocacy for us, his support of us in our weakness. Just so that someone here who maybe is in disbelief, if you who believe, could you give me an amen if you've experienced the grace of Jesus in your life? Amen. Amen. This is, to me, is one of the most profound principles of following in the example of Jesus, is that Jesus calls me in every interaction and in every relationship that I have to walk in this way, with grace and truth. Never compromising truth, never compromising grace. Grace and truth, that's Jesus. Number six. Jesus was uniquely like his father. And that might seem like an obvious point. We know that he was with God, that he was God. Um, I should add as a little caveat here that when John 1 says that he was with God, that he was God, there are some who have suggested that it, what it actually says is that he was with God and he was a God, but there is no such article used there. He was with God and he was God. But Jesus was uniquely like his father. Look at the language of verse 14 here. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father. So the, the, the term there that might be in your Bible is glory as of the only begotten Son, which we know because of our heritage, if you've been in, in Christendom for any period of time, that the only begotten is kind of a term used to describe Jesus. But really all it means was that he was, he was very unique. He was a one of a kind in the way that he reminded us of who God is. And again, this is a claim made by the people who intimately knew Jesus and were involved in his life and ministry. As they looked to Jesus, they said, this guy reminds me of God in a way that no one reminds me. It's like he's a one of a kind, like a unique, only born son of God, Jesus. And we beheld the glory of that person. We saw him. Remember, again, this is John's testimony. This is his written account. He says, I saw him. And I'm telling you that whatever you've heard about him, good or bad, let me tell you what my experience was. It was like beholding a human that was like no other human. It was like beholding a man who was, in fact, the Son of God because he reminded us so much of the glory of his Father. 
Colossians 1.19. Paul makes the same statement. For in him, all of the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Invite the worship team up. This is where you take your first steps being transformed by the gospel is knowing Jesus. It's taking the time to look to the testimony of his life and his ministry. It's getting to understand his heart and his mission. It's knowing Jesus. This must be central to your life, for your life to make sense. Do you find yourself too busy to pursue a relationship with Jesus? How many of you have struggled with that? I've struggled with that. You know what? My busyness is a lie. It's a lie because it robs me of that which is of supreme worth, Jesus himself. Are you too guilt-ridden or feeling too much shame? Your guilt and shame is a lie. Maybe you struggle with apathy. I just can't, I can't find myself motivated to pursue him. I'm going to tell you something about apathy. It's a lie. It's a lie that keeps you away from that which is of supreme worth. Everything that stands in the way of you knowing Jesus and being transformed by your relationship with him must be demolished. And you must demolish it. And I realize that takes work. I realize that's a, that can be a painful process. And yet he is of supreme worth. I would encourage you to pursue him with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength, not because you should do it, not because it is right, not because you have to, but because he is worthy.
my hope that as we explore who he is over the next few weeks, that you would find yourself refreshed. That you would find yourself moved, motivated to overcome the barriers that stand in the way of knowing him. And if you would like to just take a stand now, this morning, and, and say, I want to know him. I want to experience him. I want to walk with him. I want to overcome those things that have consistently stood in the way of me deepening that relationship. If you want to come forward, you can. There's nothing magic about it. It's just a moment where you say, this matters, and I'm going to take some action because this matters to me. If you want to come here, just kneel and pray, you're welcome to do that. If we have elders here this morning, I would ask them to come and just lay a hand and just pray that you would encounter Jesus in your life here and now. Don't overthink it. Don't complicate it. Just go after Jesus, whatever that looks like for you. You ready for the next two weeks? I need this. I'm looking forward to pursuing this together. Would you stand? We'll have communion tables around the room. Communion is just a remembrance of the life of Jesus in me. Through his body and his blood, I have life through him. We have offering receptacles you can give. We're going to worship the Lord together. We're going to celebrate Jesus together. Uh, we're not going to have prayer team there, but if you want to come and just take a moment to come before the Lord, you're welcome to do that during this time. Elders will lay hands and pray for you. Let's worship. didn't get a schedule, grab one at the table. But here's the deal. If the end of all of our activity as a church does not lead to this outcome, that you are growing in relationship with Jesus, then it's for naught. But only you can make that happen. So go after it. Pursue him with all of who you are. We're praying for you. We're praying for you. We don't officially end until 1230. You can stick around, help, pick up chairs and such. That's always a huge benefit. You can join in one of the classrooms, help them pick up their gear. But God bless you. May God keep you. And may all of your moves be legal. You're dismissed.